Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Well, we're glad you're here today, and we need to put a special welcome together, welcoming our brothers and sisters in Mountainside, New Brunswick, and Nutley. Would you welcome those guys? Glad you're with us today. Or if you're listening online or on videocast, we're thrilled that you're uh, with us today. Well, in two weeks, we are beginning a new series called ISIS, Islam, and Jesus. It's difficult to watch the nightly news and not see some mention of uh, the radical extremism happening in the Middle East. And this is really a series about the persecuted church. And what is our response as modern Christians to that? There are Christian churches that are being burnt. Uh, There are uh, Christians who are being beheaded most recently in Ethiopia, Libya, Egypt. And we're going to be looking what the scripture has to say about how we can, as followers of Jesus, respond to this great challenge of our time. So that's in two weeks. ISIS, Islam, and Jesus I'll be kicking off. Uh, Next week, did want to let you know uh, that I will be closing this series preaching live with a message I'm calling, But God Heals. That is, we hurt, sometimes we are ill, but God heals. We're a church that believes in healing, and this is going to be a service that ends with healing prayer for people in your life or yourself who are sick or in need of God's touch. So I want to telegraph that to you guys so that you would have an opportunity to invite your family or your friends. I'll be teaching from the scriptures, kind of a theology of healing, what we believe about that, and then we'll be inviting people actually to come forward and receive healing prayer from our spiritual care team. So make sure you mark your calendar for that next Sunday. Well, today you're in for a special treat, guaranteed phenomenal sermon. That's because I'm not preaching. Uh, Dr. David Ireland is with us today. Dr. Ireland is a close friend, a great friend of uh, Liquid Church and a mentor to me. He serves as senior pastor of Christ Church, which is about a 7,000-member church in Rockaway in Montclair, New Jersey. Uh, he is also the author of over 20 books and a phenomenal Bible teacher. And today he's going to come teach us a little bit about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can fill our lives in a fresh way. And I want to recommend to you one of his uh, early books called Activating the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can find that in your notes, a link in Am- to Amazon. But that's a phenomenal book. And really, he'll be preaching on the book of Acts today and seeing how when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and touch our lives. So would you give a big liquid welcome to our great friend, Dr. David Ireland. <laughs> Praise God for you, David. Praise God. Bless you. God bless you. Great for you. Well, hello, liquid. It's good to be back. You can respond back. Hello, liquid. (laughs) You know, one of the joys of uh, walking with men and women like Pastor Tim and Colleen is the fact that you get a chance to see all of us grow in God. And so my wife and I, in fact, we've been uh, married this July. It'll be 31 years. And so it's no reflection on our age or how we look, by the way. <laughs> in fact, as you know, in New Jersey, you can get married when you're five years old, and so we got married very young. And so <laughs> but Marlinda sends her greetings. This is a good time in the Ireland household, and one of the reasons why, in fact, she graduates in a couple of weeks from Alliance Theological Seminary with her doctorate degree in ministry, and so I'm going to be looking for a job because she says she's eyeing for my position. <laughs> so if you see me around here ushering, then you know what happened. And <laughs> I got ousted by my wife. <laughs> but uh, I'm ready to talk to you out of the scriptures, and I hope that today you'll really get a chance to experience something wonderful and phenomenal. Praise God. Are you ready for the word? Good, good, good. Would you bow your hearts with me, please?
Father, today, I pray for the Holy Spirit to meet with us in a unique way. I ask that you'd help us to open our hearts wide to you, that we can experience all of what you have foreordained for us. I pray that every campus would experience the uniqueness of this gift. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor Tim, thank you for the opportunity to come and to share with you and for those at Nutley and also Mountainside and New Brunswick. Open your hearts wide. I want you, as we look together in sacred scripture, I want to begin my teaching time in Acts chapter 1 and looking at verse 4. And I want to just go right in line with the, the, the theme that you guys have been flowing with for a number of weeks, the But God series. And so I'm going to title my talk, But God Had a Plan. In fact, you'll find that phrase, but God, is a recurring phrase throughout Scripture. In Genesis 50, in verse 20, the Scripture says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In Psalm 9, verse 18, it says, But God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. And in Psalm 66, verse 19, we see, But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. And in the New Testament, we see that phrase again. Acts 3, verse 15. You kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Romans 5, verse 8, Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And even in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, we see every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. That phrase, but God, it's God intervening and disrupting things that may be chaotic, bringing hope and bringing life. And as we look together today, we're going to see, but God has a plan. And in chapter 1, verse 4, the setting is Jesus has been crucified buried and resurrected. In his post-resurrected state, he had a statement to make to his disciples. Let's join him in that. Verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he, that is Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them, that is his disciples, this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Could you imagine here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus had a surprise for his disciples. Things were not going to go down the drain because he had died, buried, was buried and resurrected and is now going to be with God the Father in glory. Things were not going to end. God still had a plan. Hence, but God had a plan. He wanted to make sure that his church, 
the fledgling group that was going to be the base and the foundation for the global church and a church down through the centuries, God wanted to make sure that that church was going to be infused and equipped with what they needed to be able to do a powerful and transformational job. Hence, Jesus said to his guys, wait in Jerusalem. Don't you leave. Stay there until you receive the promised gift of my father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not what John talked about, which is the baptism of water. This is a different kind of immersion. Notice now, we're introduced to the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit by Jesus himself. He lets us know that it is an experience. It's not simply a theology. It's not simply a doctrinal truth. It's not simply something that you may understand and believe cognitively. It's something that you have to experience. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you have this experience. Then we jump down to verse 8. Because we realize from verse 6 and 7, the disciples have no idea in the world what to expect. They don't know. And so Jesus says, let me give you a little clue as to what's going to happen when you experience this gift. You shall receive power... Watch the language, after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to see different words, different terms, different phrases to describe this one common experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here we see the phrase, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. But before the phrase is uttered by Jesus, he says, here is the sign. Here is what the experience is going to be like. Here's going to be the consequence. Here's going to be the aftermath. Here's what's going to occur. You will receive Power. That word power is the Greek word dunamis. It's actually where we get the English word dynamite. Something's going to explode in you. You're going to experience something. And so Jesus tells his guys that you're going to experience power. You're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria and to the greatest parts or to the ends of the earth. And so I want you to see the Holy Spirit is a promised gift. The Holy Spirit's available following conversion. The Holy Spirit occurs in association with an experience, and the gift is different from water baptism. In fact, here we see it. Today, all over the world, people have experienced and are still experiencing this phenomenal gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to realize that even today here in Morristown and here also in Nutley and, in, and, and, in, and, and, and as well, as, 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 well as in Mountainside and also in New Brunswick, people are going to experience this phenomenal gift. I mean, this experience is taking place not only with people that are in non-denominational churches, but among Eastern Orthodox Christians, among Catholic Christ followers. It's among Baptist, Presbyterian all kinds of Protestant denominations. I've seen them experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and many of you have heard of it as well. This gift transcends socioeconomic level. It transcends race, ethnicity. It transcends nationality. It is amazing what God can do. I remember when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand my, ver my worldview at the time. When I came to faith in Jesus, I was 20 years old. I came out of atheism. I was one of those scientific atheists. Everything was about rationalization, Aristotelian thinking, five senses, how I gather information. 
And on July 6, 1982, at 10 p.m., when I sat on my dormitory bed after finishing my first degree in mechanical engineering, I said, Lord Jesus, after a series of circumstances, I cut to the chase, after a series of circumstances, I sat there empty and disillusioned about life. I said, Lord Jesus, if you're real, change me. That moment, he changed me. About a month into that experience, others that I knew, they had this gift of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm one of those guys, I'm really greedy for everything God has for me. And so whatever God has, I want it. And I said, I remember in the dorms at Fairleigh Dickinson University, Tina campus, there were two other guys. I said, guys, would you pray with me? They said, what for? I said, I want to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember three, the three of us, we were just newly believers in Christ. We knelt down in a dorm on the floor. And... They just prayed. These guys were about a month old in their relationship with God. They weren't theologians. They weren't, you know, sophisticated Bible scholars. They were just two guys who had this spiritual experience, and they had just enough sense to believe that God can do it for others. And I remember them praying, and they laid hands on me very gently and said, Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Instantly, I got filled with the Spirit, and I began to speak in this other language supernaturally as an evidence of that infilling. And from that day forward, I have enjoyed that prayer language because the distinguishing factor was I got filled with such boldness and such courage that everywhere I went, I was sharing my faith left and right. When I went to graduate school, I was there at Stevens Institute of Technology. And there I started praying for people left and right, leading them to the, to the Lord. And then I remember the day when I prayed for the first person ever to get filled with the Holy Spirit. There was this young lady around my age. I was 20, 21 years old at the time. And she was just talking. She was a believer in Jesus. She was just talking to me. She said, David, you know, I always wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I've never had that experience. And I said, would you like me to pray with you? In fact, let's go to chapter 2 so I can show you what happened. Would you go there? Chapter 2, verse 1 in the Bible. We learn from Acts 1, verse 8, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit provides power. It empowers you with courage and boldness to live out your faith. In fact, one of the first definitions of the word that says you shall be witnesses is the word martyr. You, when you have this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, your soul so sold out in your relationship with God more than ever before because not only did you experience the greatest gift, which is salvation, but as a subsequent gift to our salvation, God says, I want to use you in mighty ways beyond your imagination. And the infilling of the Spirit gives us such boldness that we're really willing literally to lay down our lives for Jesus. And so we be, we're willing to become martyrs. That's what the word means, witnesses, because we're so filled with courage and boldness. It empowers us to be able to live our faith in such a pluralistic society. How many of you know that the world that we live in is getting more and more antagonistic towards the Christian faith? How many know that? You can raise your hand. It's okay. And so when it gets that way, we can't be an anemic church. We can't be a weak, apathetic church and just a church that's filled with head knowledge about Christ. We must be a church that walks in power and boldness because God wants to send us in all kinds of places where difficult things occur. And if we're not ready to deal with them, which we can be because the baptism of the Holy Spirit introduces you to another dimension of Christian living. And here we find 
that that's what's going to happen. Let me bring you to chapter 2, verse 1, and then I'll finish up my story that I began. Verse 1 says, now remember now, these 120 people were gathered together in the upper room, praying, waiting on God, because Jesus told them, don't you leave Jerusalem until you experience this gift, the baptism in the Spirit. How do you know you receive it? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. How do you know you receive it? You'll receive power. And so here now, these 120 guys, they've been waiting on the Lord. And I'll let you know what that means in a moment. But verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of them were filled? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them or empowered them or gave them the impetus. I want you to see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we see here, it follows salvation. It is a gift that God gives, not for special people, but for anyone who comes to know Him as Savior. It's not a gift that God gives for special people who have a specialized mission or specialized ministry. It's for everyone. It's not for super spiritual people. It's for individuals who simply say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. And based on that and that alone, that becomes the qualifier to this experience. But I bring you back. There I am now at Stevens in Hoboken. And, I'm, and, and this young lady said, yeah, I've never had this experience. I said, come on with me to my dorm. I, I'm about six months old in my faith. I don't know the Bible. I'm no minister. I'm no theologian. I just had enough sense to say, well, I've seen my pastor pray for people to have this experience. If he can do it, I can do it. That's all I knew. And so she came to my dorm, and I just said, let's just close our eyes. I don't know why. There's nothing mysterious or magical. I said, let's just close our eyes so we won't be distracted. And so I didn't need to look at my books and my bookshelves and get all thrown away, thrown off. And so we closed eyes, and I remember just holding her hand in mine. And in a very gentle way, I said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Instantly, she got filled with the Spirit. And the evidence of such, she began to speak in another language supernaturally. And she began to just run around in my dorm. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't make her run. She responded that way. The Holy Spirit works with our personalities. If we're big mouth, when we get filled with the Spirit, we'll have a bigger mouth. If we're quiet people, when we get filled with the Spirit, we'll be quiet but yet still be courageous. And so I seen that happen. And I said, wow, look at what God can do. And I remember over the years, I've seen that experience take place in so many places. I remember one place, I was in India, the southern part of India. And here is your primarily Hindu country. In fact, it was so, you know, just, just so antagonistic that the Hindu government actually had police officers follow me around to wherever I went. Here I am in a Baptist church. Now, the worst place to introduce the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in a Baptist church in a Hindu country. And where you have hundreds of Hindus sitting there watching because they want to see an American. They've never seen an American before. In fact, my wife was with me, and they've never seen someone. My wife is around my height, so she's tall for a woman. And so they've never seen her, and she's you know, African-American. They're looking at her, and they're gawking. They've never seen. And in fact, some even came close and just touched her, just just. And she's a kid, I mean, she's getting away out of it. It's freaky. And so here we are now. And 
If you understand the mind of an engineer, I need things to be just perfect. Three on the left, three has to be on the right. It has to be balanced. That's how my mind works. Everything requires order. And so I'm thinking that God just requires all this order. And so here I am. I preach the first night. The place is jam-packed. The police officer is sitting there. He's folding his arms, just watching. And you know, I'm not there to create disruption. I'm just there to allow the Holy Spirit to use me. First night, a couple of hundred people came to the Lord. And then next night, I don't know why I desired to speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, why am I? I just couldn't shake it. I want to teach on this. I said, okay. Now let me give you the picture. Behind me, about six people, part of the leadership of that Baptist church. And my wife was sitting there as well. And I was on a platform about maybe three feet high. There's no air conditioning in the place. It's hot. There's a ceiling fan blowing. The night before, my interpreter had a PhD in English, was an English professor at the local university. And so somehow I knew we weren't gelling. I know this guy's not doing it. One of the persons I brought with me is a lady on my staff who's also Indian by ethnicity and spoke their language. And she said to me, Pastor, he's not, he's not making you sound like what you're preaching. I said, what are you talking about, Arpita? She said, he's making you sound like Shakespeare. I said, Shakespeare? I don't want to be Shakespeare. I'm preaching about Jesus. This guy's making me sound like Macbeth or Othello or Romeo and Juliet because he wants to practice his English on me and Shakespeare in English. I said, this is crazy. I said, I don't want that. I said, I need to get rid of him as my interpreter. And I said, I want you to interpret. Now, you got to understand, Arpita is an accountant by, by, by training, brilliant woman, but she is not a public speaker. And so she says, I can't be the one to interpret. I said, why not? She said, because who's going to tell that English professor he can't be an interpreter? I can't tell him. She said, here in India, the culture is, if a man's older than you, he's your uncle. I said, I can't fire my uncle, she says. I said, I'll fire your uncle then. I mean, so, so here I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with this situation. So I fired the uncle. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know in a polite way, but I just, you know, I didn't do the Donald Trump deal. I just said, you know, I fired the uncle. And so I said, Arpita, I want you to be the one that teaches. Now I'm going to teach in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I have a second set of notes. I'm going to give it to you. And so here she is standing on the right of the lectern. I'm standing on the left. There's a ceiling fan blowing. It's blowing the leaf of my Bible. I have to hold it like this with my left arm. Our Peter, she's so nervous, doesn't want to look at the people and look at her uncle, so she looks back there. And so I'm preaching out there. And imagine now an interpreter, you're trying to connect with people. Part of public speaking, you connect. You look with pe at people. You connect your facial expressions and mannerism. Our Peter's not looking back there. She's looking back there. So I figured, let me take her notes. So I took her notes with my right hand, stuck it in the Bible, so she's forced to. But she didn't look forward. She kept looking back there. So I'm preaching about Jesus died and he loves you. She's looking back there and said, he loves you. And she's going back there. There's nobody back there but a wall. And so I'm saying, this thing is going to crash and burn. And so um, you ever see a sermon crash and burn? That's how I felt. And then while I'm saying that, the head deacon who's in the front row, very tall man, stoic, he jumps up and then he walks very briskly across the front of the stage. I say, what is this guy doing? He walks back there. My eyes follow him. I'm interpreting our Peter is looking back or she's interpreting I'm preaching I'm looking out there and following the guy my eye she's looking back there the tall guy walks stoically like a robot he walks back there and I'm looking he 
comes out with a fan. And so he comes out along with an extension cord. He brings the fan, an extension cord. And remember now, the ceiling fan's blowing my Bible. He wants to be polite, thinking I'm really hot. He plugs the fan into the socket right below the stage, and he, he puts the fan blowing on me. So now all oh, my Bible is flipping this way. Our Peter's looking back that way. I'm preaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, trying to. I'm watching myself crash and burn. So I say to this guy, he doesn't understand English. I said, get the fan out of here. And so I'm saying that publicly. There are 2,000 people in the room. I'm saying, get the fan out of here. He doesn't understand English. Our Peter said, tell him what I said. And this is all through the preaching. She said, I can't speak to my uncle that way. So she says nothing to him. And so I'm preaching about the baptism and she can't say anything. So I used international language. I said, you go like this, move the fan. And so he understood. He grabs the fan, walks like a robot again, goes out there. Marlinda, I know she's praying for me. She said, bless his poor heart. I know he's going to crash and burn. You ever see a sermon just burn and just crash right in front of you? And so I'm watching myself. I know I'm going to crash. I know I'm going to crash. It's just a matter of just minimizing my casualty. And so I know I'm going to crash. So I just ended my sermon. I just said, in Jesus' name. I didn't even care. I didn't care if I didn't make my thought clear. I ended it. And then I had enough sense to say, how many of you would like this experience? I saw the book of Acts come alive. In a split second, what I read here, there was a sense of rushing mighty wind. I had my videographer up in the balcony and he was taking the video of all of this. I said, and I, at first I led people to Christ. A couple of hundreds came to the Lord. And I said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you understand Indian style of sitting, there are men on one side, women on another, and they're sitting on the floor with their nails over a cross, and they're very stoic. And I said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In a split second, I saw 800 people get filled with the Spirit, and I began to hear glossolalia, speaking another language supernaturally occur right there in front of my eyes. And you know what that did for me? It shook up my theology. It made me realize that God is bigger than my need for order. God is so in love with people. He wants to fill them with his spirit so that they in a Hindu society will not look and act as cowards, but they can be filled with the spirit so they can be witnesses of Jesus in that fallen world. And just like in our world is fallen. And so I've come to come to tell you today that but God has a plan. God has a way and he wants to fill you like what he did with these 120 people in the upper room. They began to speak another language supernaturally. In fact, verse 5 says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. There it is right there. When a person gets filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not preaching in the native language by the Spirit. No, that's not what it is. And so this passage of Scripture, it simply deconstructs that false theological premise. These individuals, in fact, when you read verse 5 down through verse 12, there are 15 different nations represented there. And the Bible says each one of those individuals heard these 120 people speaking in their language. In other words, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is experienced, the initial evidence, there are many evidences, but the initial evidence is that they begin to speak in another language supernaturally by the Spirit of God. The speaking in another language supernaturally is not the baptism, 
It's just the evidence of the baptism. There are other evidences. Speaking in one, to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's what Ephesians 5 tells us. That's another evidence of the baptism. In Acts 6, we find that another evidence is that you're filled to the, with this love to serve people in this way that's so transformational. In fact, in Acts 13, what we discover is that another evidence of the baptism is that you're able to move in great feats of faith and power. May I say to you today, Liquid, God wants to do something in your midst and in your life that you may have been longing for. You've been saying, God, I know that there's more that you have for me. And if you have not had this experience as of yet, today is your day. I want to get you ready for that experience. You need to get ready for it because God wants to do something mighty in your life. And it's for anybody and everybody. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in Syracuse. And I was speaking at, at a church called Believer's Chapel. And so big you know, church, very multidimensional, had impact upon Syracuse University. And they said to me, the pastor said, David, would you stay over on Monday? We have this Bible study for some of the individuals, professors and students at Syracuse University. It's in one of the professors' home. Would you be uh, just gracious enough just to go and teach the Bible study? I said, okay. And so I'm there, stayed over from Sunday, teaching on Monday at the Bible study. And so around the room, you had this professor is professor of accounting, this professor, professor of physics. You have people from Chile, people from other parts of the world. And so there about, about 30 people in the room. And I start teaching on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And after I finish, I said, let's stand. And let's form a little circle. And all of us now, 30 of us, we're holding hands. And then I just moved out of the circle and let the two people that I was holding their hands, let their hands be clasped with one another. And I went into the middle of the circle. And I said, I want you to get ready for this gift. God wants to fill you with his spirit in such a way. Don't be afraid. God's not going to have you do anything weird. You're not going to start walking backwards. You're not going to jump over your only chairs. You're not going to act unseemly, undignified. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. The Holy Spirit works in, in us based on our personality and our mannerisms and our uniqueness. I said, I just want you to get ready for what God's about to do. I'm going to lay hands on you very gently. I'm just going to touch you. And when I touch you, I'm going to say, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Get ready. And when I lay hands on you, you're going to have this desire to speak in another language. It's not going to be your mother tongue. It's not going to be the ethnic dialect from where you've come from. It's not going to be in English if English is your main language. I want you to prepare yourself because that's going to be an initial evidence of this baptism. And when I said that, I'm coaching them, just giving them cues, indicators along the way. And I remember going around that circle and I remember laying hands on those professors, graduate students, undergraduate. And I saw before my eyes God fill each one with the Holy Spirit. And I, then I began to realize that God is so madly in love with people that even in this place of higher academia, these halls of educational learnedness, people that are filled with so many you know, think degrees and thinking that even in that kind of setting, God needs to have his people so filled to the full of the Holy Spirit that they're not intimidated because of the learnedness of others, but they can allow the Holy Spirit to use them in their context and be witnesses of Jesus. And I'm asking you, I know the place where you work. 
work. I know the community in which you live. I live in Jersey. And I, wonder, I understand the place where you're called to serve and to touch. And maybe you have been buckling under for a little bit, afraid, intimidated. But may I say to you, what you need is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's nothing special you have to do. There's no special gift you have to earn. There's no pre-qualifier other than you must be born again. If you have had that experience, then you are ready to also experience the subsequent gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get ready because in a few moments I'm going to pray for you and it's not me. The Holy Spirit is going to come and fall on you. I want to take you now to another passage of scripture. Look at Acts chapter 8. Hurry up. Come on, don't waste my time. Don't waste my time. Acts chapter 8. I want you to get ready. Nutley, get ready. Get ready, Mountainside. Get ready, New Brunswick. And get ready, Morristown. Something's about to happen for you that you have been longing for. And let's look at the text. In Acts chapter 8, go to verse 4. The historical setting is persecution broke out in Jerusalem. Stephen became the first martyr. And let's see what happened with one of the other leaders. Verse 4 reads, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Verse 9. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is a divine power known as the great power. Verse 11. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonishing or astonished, rather, by the great signs and miracles he, he saw. Verse 14, here's the focal point. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Watch this now. Watch the language of the text. And let's, let's parse out the words so that we can be accurate in our understanding of the text. Verse 15 again. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here we see in this text that revival broke out in Samaria. Thousands are coming to faith in Christ. Many are getting healed and getting set free from demonization. When news of the revival went to the ears or came to the ears of the apostles in Jerusalem, they decided to send two of the apostles, Peter and John. Why them? 
they had a special gift or a special ability to pray for people to have this experience. They recognized that conversion, good, necessary, the greatest gift God ever gives to anybody is for them to experience salvation through Christ. That the apostles recognized that that occurred in Samaria, but they also realized, let's make sure that they have power so that among their community, and wherever they may go in the days that lie ahead, that they have been so empowered and equipped that they're not afraid, that they'll be willing to be martyrs for the, for the kingdom of God. Let's send Peter and John down. Peter and John comes, and then the Bible said they prayed for them because they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. Watch the language. Receive the Holy Spirit, and then it says, for the Holy Spirit has not yet come upon them. So the context of what Peter was mentioning or what Luke was mentioning here in Acts was the fact that receiving the Holy Spirit in this context is synonymous with the baptism of the Spirit. Remember what we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus said you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And so we see in Acts 2 what that meant. And here in Acts 8, the Holy Spirit, they have not yet received the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit has not yet come upon them. So Peter and John, they come, they lay hands on these individuals. Remember now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is an evidence. It is something that must take place that is a physical sign afterwards. There must be indicators that you've been filled with the Spirit. It's not just a cerebral conclusion. It's not just an intellectual assent. It is not just a theological position. It is an experience that God wants His church to have. And I'm saying to you, why do you shortchange yourself from that experience? Why do you talk yourself out of it? Why do you say, well, I'm educated, I'm this. All of us are educated in some way or shape or form. And I'm saying to you that isn't God the most educated? And isn't, doesn't he know what's best for us? And so he established this experience for his church. Peter and John, as well as the church in Jerusalem, realized that the church, this new church here in Samaria, they needed this experience following their conversion. They had no delay. They didn't wait. They didn't hesitate. They didn't say, well, you have to get to a point where you're very, very spiritual. They didn't say, well, you need to have everything in order. They didn't say you need to be perfect. They didn't say you need to have a title. They didn't say you need to be ordained. They didn't say you need to have gone through these classes of catechism. Oh, no. Simply at the fact that they have experienced conversion, Peter and John came down and said, you're now ready for the subsequent gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm saying to you, Liquid, you are ready if you have not yet experience this gift. You are ready to experience this gift and it's God's joy for you to experience it. I remember I was in Nigeria a couple of years ago and I was preaching. This church was not fully constructed and there was no roof on the building and we're in this building that seats about a thousand people. It's jam-packed. I'm preaching with an interpreter and I'm, I'm teaching and and then all of a sudden, I gave this prophetic word. This word, God spoke to my heart. I communicated it. I said, God is going to give you the resources to complete this building in record time. And I communicated the time, and I felt God impressed on me. And I said, proof of that is tonight, hundreds of you will get filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever want to go and pull back words that you've spoken? <laughs> I was chasing after the word before it hit everybody's ear, trying to grab it. Come back, come back, come back. No. Because it's so easy for you to be able to say, that's a false prophet. Sometimes you have to carry stones around in your, in your pocket just because you can stone the false prophet very easily. Because that night you can easily see, well, did hundreds get filled with the Spirit or not? So I'm saying, God, if there's ever a time you 
got my back, God, now. I need you to get my back. God, come, protect me, help me. And so I then invited people to come to the altar area. No lights in this building. Just, I mean, there were a couple of makeshift real lights, but no electricity. Building's not fully constructed. Dirt floor, no roof. 250, 300 people came at the altar. And I said, I want you to get ready. The Holy Spirit's going to fill you. And I don't have time to go and lay hands on each one. It's going to take way too long. It's going to just break the flow. I didn't know what to do. I just, here I am, a young minister. I just figured, let me just come up with some idea. And I said, I'm going to wave my hand across the audience. When I wave my hand, that's going to release you. That's going to give you an opportunity. At that moment, when I wave my hand, I'm going to say, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. At that moment, you're going to get filled with the Spirit. These Nigerians were there at the altar. They're there expecting, ready. And then I said, one, I, that I counted to two. Then I said, three, receive. And I waved my hand across the front. I kid you not, I saw those 250 to 300 Nigerians at the altar get filled with the Spirit right before my very eyes. I want you to know that God has the same experience for you. You should not deny yourself this opportunity. And some people say, well, I'm afraid. God will not hurt, harm, or make you a sign of mockery or ridicule. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. I remember at our own church, our Montclair campus, many years ago, I was teaching on this topic. But God has a plan and how he wants to fill you with the Spirit. And I invited people that had not had that experience to come to the front of the room. One little boy, he's seven years old. He's up there too. And I said, I, please parents, don't push, don't coerce. If they don't have a desire to come forward, don't, don't tell your husband, go up there, you need this. <laughs> don't, you know, you understand, you understand that uh, wives can be very pushy and they think they're being led by the Spirit, go up there, you need that, you know you need that. And so, and so, and here they are now, these people are at the front, maybe about 40 people or so, this seven-year-old kid, other little kids. I go over to the seven-year-old kid, I just lay hands on him, I said, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In an instant, he got filled with the Spirit, and he began to speak another language supernaturally. And he spoke in that language supernaturally. And I said, I want to show you, congregation, that this has nothing to do with me. It's God. And I said to that little boy, I forgot his name, let's call his name Steve. I said, Steve, come on up here. He said, me? He said, yeah, come on up here. I'm not going to get in trouble. No, come on up here. So Steve, stand up next to me. I said, Steve, I want you to help me pray for these people. Me? Yeah, you. Here's what I want you to do, Steve. I want you to go to each one. I want you to lay hands on them. Just touch them very gently. And he said, what do I say? This is all going on in front of the people. I said, I want you to say when you touch them, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You got it? He said, what'd you say? I said, say, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, okay, go to the first person. He lays hands on her, he touches her forearm. And he says, receive. He forgot the rest of it. He looks at me. I said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said it with the same attitude like I did. He said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Instantly, the lady gets filled with the Spirit. And so people now, their hearts are leaping. They say, my God, God's using a seven-year-old who doesn't even know what to say. 
And then he goes right down the line. And I saw that little seven-year-old lay hands. Sometimes he forgot. He says, receive whatever what the pastor said. Receive. People getting filled with the Spirit. I want you to understand, God is interested in infusing you and his church with this experience in such a way that you'll know that God wants you to go to the ends of the earth. Like he said to the church when Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, but receive the gift that my Father promised. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, that you'll be able to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and to the remotest parts of the world. May I say that's what God's calling you to experience? He's saying to you, liquid, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you'll be my witnesses in Morristown and you'll be my witnesses in Mountainside. You'll be my witnesses in New Brunswick. You'll be my witnesses in Nutley. You'll be my witnesses in northern New Jersey, New York, and wherever your feet go, you are someone that God wants to use and will use. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit it puts you in a position to say, God, I welcome everything you have, all of who you are, all of what you have. Use me as a conduit to bless and to minister to individuals. And today is your day. Get ready for the power of God. God's about to fall on this place and fall on each campus. And today is your opportunity. I'm going to ask you, Liquid, to stand to your feet right where you are. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.